Right, so today we are starting a series. I kind of did, thanks very much, Morford. I did a little bit of a, a, a um, <clears throat> kind of almost pre-introduction to it last uh, Sunday, which I'll recap in a moment, but I would encourage you to download the message if you weren't here because we don't have the time to, to, re, to revisit the overarching goal of this series, but uh, hopefully you'll catch on pretty quickly. Just by means of introduction, I came across a story recently of a guy by the name of Orison Marden. He was a writer uh, quite some time ago, and for one particular writing project, he set out to discover and interview a giant of his day and to ask the secret behind his impact on the world. He wanted to interview a significant uh, sort of creator, innovator. One of Marden's first questions was about this remarkable man's untiring energy and phenomenal endurance. You know, some of those people, we feel like, do they ever get tired? Do they ever need sleep? And on one level, you kind of respect them. On another level, you kind of hate them. You know, and you kind of think they must be cheating. Anyway, and nowadays we can cheat in so many different ways. Anyway, uh, this man had worked an average of 20 hours per day for the past 15 years. This meant that he had not just been awake for 20 hours straight, which in itself would have been brutal, but he had actually averaged 20 hours a day working for 15 years. In fact, he worked so much that he would actually joke that even though he was 47 years old at the time of the interview, he was more like 82 years old since if he calculated how many eight-hour workdays he fit into his 20-hour workdays, it would have made him that age. It's not a coincidence that this person thought work and productivity were so important that he made it one of his life missions to kill the thing that most stood in his way, sleep. He hated sleep. He even called it a heritage from our cave days. It was as if he just couldn't believe that society hadn't progressed past this wasteful activity. And maybe you feel like that sometimes. Don't put your hand up, but I, I get it, right? Sometimes I also wish we could just take a pull and never need to sleep and we can just keep doing what we want to do. It was as if he just couldn't believe that society progressed past this wasteful activity. This person who hated sleep so much was an obscene workaholic, even to the extreme detriment of his health, is the person who made it his mission to create and invent things that would allow him to cheat the very thing he hated. His name was Thomas Edison. The year was 1879. And it was the year that culture made a trade-off that we've never fully reckoned with, the light bulb. Something Edison firmly believed could take us out of the cave days even going so far as to remark how he believed artificial light seemed to make people more intelligent. And he's quoted as saying that when I went through Switzerland in a motor car so that I could visit little towns and villages, I noted the effect of artificial light on the inhabitants. Where water power and electric light had been developed, everyone seemed normally intelligent. Where these appliances did not exist and the natives, I'm quoting, went to bed with the chickens, staying there until daylight, they were far less intelligent. He was kind of arguing that when your light bulb is on, you must be a smarter person. In fact, many photographs were taken of Edison holding a light bulb. And over time, instead of saying that someone was smart or inventive, we started saying that you were bright. Ever wonder where that statement comes from? When we say you're bright? Now, just so you know, before we go any further, 
I'm not some weird cult leader with spittle dripping from my, my chin uh, wanting to suggest that you give up on electricity and, I, I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't be able to, you know, enjoy media. I am extremely grateful for the many, many innovations uh, that we get to benefit from. I am very grateful for technology. I am very grateful for, for electricity. I am very grateful that right now we, we're enjoying a, a, a slightly cooler climate because we have a an air system. I'm grateful that I could get here today, not just on my own two legs. I love the microwave. I love Google Maps. I enjoy chilling with series. I enjoy planes, trains, and automobiles, okay? I enjoy all this stuff. And I think that there are many incredible purposes behind it. I'm so grateful for medical advancements and just, and just all the many things that we don't even think about. I'm so grateful that we don't have to kill our own chickens and pluck them and cook them from scratch. I don't have to milk a cow, okay? I'm glad that I could open a tap this morning and get water. I'm grateful for progress. But what I'm not sure that we're always aware of is the price that we sometimes pay for progress. And just to be very clear, the goal behind this series is not to be anti-progress, it's to make sure that we're keeping what is truly meaningful, the main thing in our lives. So that, so that we can actually benefit from these various forms of progress and not become the products of the progress. Sometimes we think we're using products, but the products are actually using us. In many cases, technology, you're the product, right? You're being used to make money for, uh, for various corporations, for various institutions, and so sometimes we just don't actually realize the, the real payoff. And throughout much of the 20th century, right, so the 1900s, many futurists actually believed that at some stage, this was all going to like hit a tipping point where we, where, we had, where we would have no idea what to do with all our time. In fact, one futurist was an economist by the name of John Maynard Keynes. You might have heard of him. And in 1915, he said that for the first time since his creation, man will be faced with his real, his permanent problem, how to occupy the leisure. Now, I don't know about you, but my greatest challenge in life is not what to do with all my free time. It's not what to do with all the leisure time that we have. I remember, I think there was a Time Magazine article going back to the 1960s that, that, that was recording Senate hearings in the, in the United States where they were talking about in the, how in the 1980s people wouldn't know what to do with all their time. Like at, at best, we'd be working a little bit less than, than part-time, a little bit less than 20 hours a week. And what's interesting is that actually all these time-saving devices, they do save us time. But think about it. Instead of gaining more time, we've chosen to get more money. And I'm not saying you as an individual, although that may be the case. I'm saying society. I'm saying that this is a cultural shift. This is a cultural event. Life has been changed over the last couple of hundred years, hundred years, 50 years. And some of you have lived around long enough, which isn't that long, to know that it's even shifted in the last 10 years, the last 15 years, the last 20 years. Just, just how much. I mean, some of you can remember what it was like that you had one TV program that you'd be interested in watching a week like Knight Rider or A-Team or Able. I know I'm giving my age away, right? It was like, uh, Monday night, like A-Team. So, so it was like, that was it, you know? And even then, 
you know, I mean, if you, if you took out a video, not a, not a DVD, by the way, like, and not, a, and not a video like that you download, I mean like a video cassette. Anyone remember beta videos? And then, and then I think it became VHS, I don't know. I know, I sound so old. Don't worry, we'll explain this in a moment, that's fine. Um, now, now it's like, which streaming service do you want to subscribe to, right? It's, there's just so much, and, and again, I've got to tell you, I enjoy too much of it, actually, and I appreciate loads of it. But the point that we want to get across during this series is that we actually take stock of what it's actually costing us, and where necessary, take control again. We, we all know the idea, I would imagine, or, the, or the, the metaphor of the frog in boiling water, how if you would have first put the, the frog into water those boilings and jump out, and, and it's going to protect itself, th- th- that instinct's going to kick in. But the problem is if you put that frog into the water and boil it, you know, increase the heat slowly, it doesn't even know. And, and I, feel, I feel like I sound like a little bit like a doomsday guy, and I, and I promise you, I don't mean this from a doomsday point of view. I'm, I'm looking at my own life. as the, I don't know if I've ever read more or studied more for a series than on this. I'm so fascinated, and I'm so, and I'm so aware that I'm not aware of so many things. Like, I don't know what I don't know. And the more I'm reading and the more I'm thinking and the more I'm assessing this, I'm thinking, holy smokes, I'm that frog. And the heat's been turned up very slowly. And I, and I love, I love feeling efficient. I love feeling productive and I love knowledge. Like, I love it. I love it that we have access to, to as many books as you want, to as many tutorials and videos and, and documentaries. and whatever. Like, I love it. But I don't know that we are ever fully reckoning with the actual cost. And I believe that in many cases, we're actually paying for it with our soul. We're paying for it with what matters most, which is relationships. I've got it. If, if you don't hear anything else I'm saying today, I'm telling you that God, more than anything else, cares about our ability to love and be loved. You want to, you want to sum it all up? We've got it on the wall there. It's to love and to be loved. It's to love God and to love people as we love ourselves. So our ability to, to, to receive love and in response, we love God back and we love people. And I'm telling you that we, in many cases, are sacrificing our families on the altar of progress. We're sacrificing our emotional well-being on the altar of progress and staying connected and being productive and being efficient. And anyway, so the goal, God's big goal for us is formation. We spoke about this last week. The bottom line is that God cares more about what you get, sorry, who you become, not what you get done. God cares more about who you become than what you get done. And for the cheap seats, can I say that one more time? God cares more about who we are becoming, about who I become, more than just what I get done. And for many of us sitting here, not people out there, don't think about the person next to you, I'm saying many of us, that's, that's a harsh reality that we want to push back against. We want to defend. We want to argue back. Yeah, 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 but that's, I'm not saying that, that getting stuff done is not important. It is. I think God's created us to live with purpose and meaning. I just think that without us even realizing it, we often lose meaning in our purpose and in our doing. God's great goal is formation. We spent a whole message on that last Sunday. The problem, I believe, is superficiality. So, so the obstacle, now, by the way, I've thought about this. I'm like, okay, what about 
violence? What about busyness? What about distraction? What about unhealthy ambitions, greed, hatred, prejudice, exploitation, porn, corrupt politicians? Like, the, like we would think of so many other things first, right? They would think that that's gonna get in the way of formation. And the thing is, they, they, they do, but in so many cases, they're the symptoms. We think, oh, I've got a real problem with it. Well, that's a symptom. I wanna mess with your heads and argue that actually the underlying cause under all of that is, is this skimming, this, this living superficially where we are always in such a rush. Everything's so busy. We're trying to f- squeeze more in, fit more in. And we're living without margin and without us realizing it, we are settling for a superficial existence. I believe that Jesus warned us about this type of cost. In Matthew 16, 26, he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I think that's a good question. Is anything worth more than your, well, I'm doing okay, yeah, yeah, but how's your soul? Yeah, well, I live comfortably, I'm secure, I've got, okay, that's great, but how's your soul? I'm really sorry to use this example because I feel like some people that might be a fan might think like, Sherbert, this guy's got a problem with him. And I, I do a little bit, but not holistically, but anyway. I look at someone like Donald Trump, okay? I, I'm being quite serious. Who, who, who on, who, whether you like him or not, whether you like him or not, on, on any secular metric, he would be considered successful. Now, I don't know the man, obviously, and Ray said something that's gonna be amazing. Every time I hear the word amazing, I think of Donald Trump, which is, like, which is freaking me out, because it's gonna be amazing. Anyway, I, I, I don't know the man and I can't speak with authority, but based on the things that I read from him and that I see him saying out of his mouth, I'm saying, at what cost? At what cost? And sometimes you can win, you can succeed, but you're leaving you're leaving human carnage in your wake. You're leaving relational carnage, a physical carnage, an emotional carnage. And I think God cares about these things. Henry Ford, I imagine most of you know about the founder of the Ford Company, also kind of introduced um, a new era around 1913 where, where he, through through watching the process that butchers would go through where, where they didn't have every individual um, you know, performing a hundred different tasks to get, to get an animal from alive to on your plate. You know, he saw this, 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 this division of labor and this um, uh, almost, not like a conveyor belt, but, but this production line. And he implemented, he implemented the system into the motor industry because he wanted to produce en masse and of course he wanted to make profits, right? And so what landed up happening is he created this, um, this uh, production line and almost overnight people that used to be craftsmen were now simply doing the same task, turning a wrench or, or fitting a door or fitting a tire 8,000 times a day. And they lost all meaning. In fact, he had to recruit about 80,000 workers in order to hold on to 10,000. So the turnover rate of people working on a production line where it's just this mindless, meaningless, 
like basically just this robotic, machine-like type of uh, process, they were losing their, their souls. So much so that they actually uh, began to riot and protest, right? They, 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 they immediately sensed this, uh, this conflict that was taking place. And so Ford, I don't think because he cared about their souls, I think because he cared about production, doubled their wages and everybody stopped rioting and went back to work. And in that, in, during that time, so 1913, he upped the wages to $5 a day or an hour, sorry, I think it's $5 an hour, which in, which in today's terms is 75 rand an hour. So, so, so the equations, so, so the, the comparative rate today would be something like $30 an hour, which is 450 rand an hour, right? They were willing to go back to work and to give up on meaning. And you have to ask yourself, what price are we willing to pay to give up on meaning? to give up on significance, on relationship, on, on, being, on being creative, innovative, on, on being able to, to do something that matters. Now, now I'm, again, I'm grateful that people work in all types of industries, and I'm not suggesting that everyone is, is living that robotic life. The point I'm trying to make is that everyone was willing to give up on, their, on health, on their dream, for the sake of double the salary, double the wage. And I don't think we have to get into a big debate to agree that in many cases, that's just part of our culture. What price are you willing to pay? I mean, I listen to people in the legal industry and, and, and in so many other industries that, I mean, the one guy, one friend was saying to me, I feel like a prostitute. I mean, he's living in a great house on a great golf estate, but he just, I remember years ago saying, if, if I've got, a, if I've got a, a video call with Japan at three o'clock in the morning, I've got to leave my family, get back in the car, go there, do this video call, get back. And by the way, he works in a hockey. Like, he liked my office. I was like, what? I mean, he's, he's successful, wealthy. He's a, he's a, he's a partner in the, the largest law firm in Africa. Like, you would think, that's pretty cool. I feel like a prostitute, Jason. And, and I wonder how many of us. Anyway, you, you, you're getting the point, I think, I hope. Anyway, moving on, moving on. I believe that it ultimately costs us all. It, it causes us to skim the surface. So speed, if you're, if you're ever on a boat, if you want to skim the water, right, you've got to increase speed. But nothing of depth gets done when you're skimming. And I think way too often, you, you want to know what the, what the biggest sign is that you're living without margin? Skimming. We are just skimming the surface of our lives. We're skimming with our relationships, we're, we're skimming with our family, we're skimming with our health, right? I think, I think anyway, too many stats, I'm gonna try and stay very focused, which is very hard for me because I've done a very lot, large amount of reading. The solution, I believe, is margin. So we're saying the goal is formation, is to live deeply, is to live lives of meaning, it's to, it's, it's to be able to give and receive loves, to be able to enjoy Peace, love, joy, uh, kindness, gentleness, like on a, on a deep level. It's to be able to live lives of meaning. This is God's goal. It's to be formed. It's to be fruitful. I'm saying that the obstacle, the biggest problem is living and settling for superficiality. And I, I can't think of a better solution than, 
than figuring out how in your case, your season to live with margin. All margin is. In fact, in fact Richard Swenson uh, is a doctor, an educator, an author, a researcher, a futurist. Uh, he wrote a book on margin years ago, a great book if you wanna get your hands on it. And he simply defined it as this, margin is the space between our load and our limits. It's the margin between our load and our limits. As a doctor, he felt that most people coming in with pain, so various symptoms, various pain-related symptoms were actually related to their lifestyle. So he's a Western doctor, okay. Were mostly related to their lifestyle, living without margin, the anxiety, the, the, the stress, the pain, and, but, but, but it, would, it would manifest in so many different ways. And so he would go on to argue that, that we're not infinite. We are finite. We have limits. And especially if we have certain personalities, we struggle with that idea. And, and of course, there's a, there's a place for encouraging ourselves to stretch beyond what we think are our, our limits, even though they're not our limits. Actually, we have great limits, and that's fine. We, we're, I'm not anti that. But he's arguing that limits are not the enemy. Overload is. Limits are not the enemy. Overload is. And, and there are times in your life where God wants you to have breathing room. There are times in your life where God wants you to be able to, to cope with stress. And, and if there's no margin, you don't cope with stress, right? T- take a look at these balloons. Uh, okay, some, one of them has already fallen off, but that's okay. Hang in there with me. One of the ideas here is that, is that we all have different capacities, okay? So, so don't compare yourself to someone else and, and feel intimidated and guilted into uh, you know, increasing your, your capacity beyond what you can. At the same time, there are other people that, that need to not limit their capacity to something much smaller when God has actually given them larger limits, right? So we have different limits. We, 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 so, so don't compare, right? But even, even within our limits. You can see that this balloon, which by the way, actually can blow up to larger than the one I'm holding on to here. This balloon, you can see, is way underperforming. Okay? Like you don't celebrate with, ah, happy birthday. You know? These, these, these little guys are like almost at capacity, right? If you squeeze too, too hard, it's, it's, it's going to pop, all right? This, this one is pretty close to capacity. The, this one, even though, it's got, even though it is much smaller, it's still got margin. Think about this. Margin, margin is when, because you're going to face inevitable stress. You're going to face obstacles, right? You're going to face pressure. When there's margin, don't panic. I'm going to try. I don't think I'm going to pop it. When there's margin, think about it. You can cope with pressure. Have you ever found yourself popping? I feel like there's six honest people in church this morning. <laughs> Think about it, right? Let me just take this one off for a moment. So, so, this, so this one is like almost, almost at capacity, right? And, and so it's impressing everyone. It's impressing all the other balloons, right? And it's, and it's judging, it's judging these guys, right? It's like, what are you, a wuss? You know, what is this? And by the way, by the way, I want to be very clear that the opposite of living with margin is not to be lazy. It is not an excuse to be lazy. In fact, in fact, I've got to be honest, as a leader, there are, 
in, in another leader, I want to see some spark. I think there has to be some spark, some grit, some perseverance, some, some, some attraction, some purpose, some, some energy, some zeal. Now, that's going to come through in different ways, in different personalities, but please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about being Eeyore. Like, okay. And where everything is just slow. Like, you'll make me depressed, okay? I'm not talking about... Some personalities, yes, are calm, less expressive, but there's, but there's, guys, there's gotta be something. I'm just saying, if you're gonna live with purpose, there's some kind of fire in your belly. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying for those that recognize the fire, sometimes we wanna burn so bright for so long that we burn out, long before our time. And so I'm just saying, you're not gonna celebrate with these guys, okay? Yeah, 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 you do want, you want some size, but I'm just saying, if there's no margin, right? If there's no Margin the inevitable pressure. You're going to pop. And some of you can remember that that was on the way to church this morning. Or that was on Wednesday. Guys, I'm telling you, I, I get embarrassed sometimes. With my fa- because again, by the way, it's not, it's not who I am with you guys. It's who I am with those I'm closest to. And, and that'd be my family. So, so, when, so when I tend to be prickly, irritable, sensitive, I've got, to, I've got to stand back and say, I'm not living with margin. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, how you respond to an interruption reveals who you truly are. Again, I think you need to have, I think you need to have boundaries and we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. I'm not saying that you should be interrupted by every person and, and, and submit yourself to every person's agenda. I'm just saying that there are times in your life where God wants you to be able to respond to pressure, where He wants you to have enough margin that you can be interrupted. You see, again, if people misunderstand this, they might think, so are you, are you talking about living a very selfish life, a very self-protective life? There's, there's a difference between self-care and selfish. To have boundaries doesn't mean that you say no to everything, but it does mean that you say no to a lot of things so that you actually have margin to say yes to the right thing, to the right interruption. I want to be able to say yes to an interruption that God wants me to pay attention to. I want to have the margin and I often don't. And I'm not just talking time because again, some of you live long enough to know this isn't just about time. This is about emotional capacity. Sometimes I don't feel like I have the emotional capacity to get into some of the meaningful conversations that I need to with the people closest to me. That's like the balloon popping. I might not, I might not react irritably, but, but that's got to be an alarm bell for me. If, if, if no one in my family, if they've got to like wait for like three months to have a meaningful conversation with me, because I'm, I'm too drained. I don't have the capacity. I'm just saying, guys, I'm living without margin. Maybe you're picking up on why I'm passionate about this topic. If nobody else is helping me. I'm <laughs> studying, preaching, trying to apply. And the, the point I'm trying to get at with the balloons, if, if, you, if you are not... Um, like if you're settling for just being like, you know, whimsical, then I'm saying, I'm saying for you, you don't have a margin issue, you have a capacity issue. You need to be willing to be, and by the way, you know with balloons, right? Like you actually have to, you have to actually stretch them a bit. So don't never be willing to be stretched. You will never grow without being stretched. 
but allow yourself to be stretched, but, but to have margin and stretch and margin and stretch and margin. Like my jeans, they've had to stretch over the years, you know? And anyway, <laughs> stretch and margin, stretch and margin. We need margin physically, emotionally, relationally. I think you guys get the point. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard. Trust me, God wants you to work hard. Just read the Proverbs. He's all for diligence. But it's useless to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to His loved ones. So we're not saying be lazy. We're saying recognize the gap or the space between your load and your limits. Be diligent. Work hard. Just don't work too much. And by the way, I'm using the word work I'm not just referring to paid work. Paid work is probably half your load. If you're a parent, there's like a whole nother load, right? Or if you're working and you're a student, then it's like you have three loads. And then there's just the load of life where you've got to shop, cook, clean. Cleaning's a good thing, by the way, especially if you're single and you want to mingle, clean, right? Like it's a good thing to be clean. Clean, do your washing, do your shopping, do maintenance, do stuff that you got to do. Guys, this, I'm not just talking about, so don't go to your boss tomorrow and say, hey, 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 I'm not talking about that. And I'm not saying that you should go resign tomorrow, okay? In, in, fact, I, in fact, I would argue that work is just one part. There is so much else. And when we're not working to an extreme, I think that in some cases we're, where we are escaping to an extreme. And so we're not only giving our souls away to the work that's paid and unpaid, we're also giving our souls away to mindless entertainment and distraction. And, and again, I think that there's a place for, for entertainment. I like relaxing, okay? I, there, there's, a, there's, there's space for that, we'll, and we'll clarify that more in the coming weeks. But we need to evaluate our lives and discover whether or not we are living with any kind of margin. And I, I believe that God is wanting us, and this is my hope, please, in Jesus' name, God, please help us, help us to see over this series and as we go into this year, because this isn't just gonna be a series. I'm hoping that we're gonna keep encouraging you towards certain practices. My hope is that we would actually adopt a new paradigm, that we would adopt a new way of life. Christians centuries ago, probably, probably for the first time this was mentioned, it was about 1,500 years ago, actually introduce something called, and this is the action, right? So we're saying the solution is margin. I'm saying that the action and what we want you to, to consider implementing over this year is something called a rule of life. Now that's a very strange term and, and we'll unpack this more in the weeks ahead, but a rule of life, by the way, is not law. So this isn't about law. This is about a rule, which is, which is similar to a ruler, Right, so, so it's, it's something that you're, that you're kind of measuring against or ordering against. In fact, the, um, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot to argue that, that the meaning, that, that the best metaphor for a rule of life is a trellis. So something that you put into like a vineyard, you know, into, into a wine orchard or into some other kind of orchard where, where you're actually creating a structure. So even if you don't like the word trellis, even if you don't like the word, the term rule of life, where you're creating a structure that actually helps you to grow in the direction that God wants you to go. 
Can I say that again? A rule of life is when you put structure into your life that allows you to grow in the direction that God wants you to grow. Imagine, imagine trying to grow uh, vineyards and there's nothing. Like it's just, it's just left on the ground. Like it's just gonna be the spider's web, right? It's just gonna go all over the place. And this is what's interesting, by the way, is that you already have a rule of life. I already have a rule of life. The problem is that in most cases, we just don't recognize it. And we're just not very intentional about it. We're often reactive to our rule of life as opposed to being proactive. For those of you that came along to the five days of focus this week, which by the way, was amazing, amazing. It was the best week I've had in church, I think maybe ever. Anyway, side note, so don't miss out next time. Suckers. Um, Joking, 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 not joking. some of you that, that and, and there were a lot of you there this week, you, you found that, that some of your habits changed this week, at, even if just for the week, right? You probably watched less. You were probably, many of you, I know, fasted stuff as well, so you probably weren't on your phones as much. And I'm guessing that you felt a bit of a difference. So, so all we're gonna be talking about in the weeks ahead is how do we actually create something that is unique to you, so, so we're not putting some blanket thing onto you, where you're looking at your season, your personality, your temperament, your demands, but where, we, but where we start taking control of our lives and where we stop being frogs, where we stop you know, in boiling water, where, where, where we stop just reacting to and just accepting the way of the world. God has called us to live a particular way. In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples in the message paraphrase. It puts it like this, and I love it. It says, Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. That's why I spoke about this last week. Like we should almost stop even using the term Christian because Christian has been redefined by so many different things. We should be considering, wait, wait, are we following Him? Are we living according to, are we just calling, living according to what we believe intellectually or are we living according to a way of life? Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you. There is a way to live. There is a way that leads to life. Jesus said, I am the way. Not just I'm knowledge. It's like, I am the way. In fact, I don't know if it was Eugene Peterson or Dallas Willard who said something along the lines of of when Jesus, when we will submit to Jesus' way connected to His truth, we will enjoy Jesus' life. It is a way of life. It's not just a paradigm. It's not just a mental agreement. Romans 12 verse two, last verse says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's a, guys, the world lives according to a pattern. And I think this is what messes, it might not mess with your head, but I'm telling you it messes with people's heads that are not in a relationship with God where they're like, their way is no different to our way. Are they delusional? And then they wanna judge us. And then they, which you shouldn't do, by the way, ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's never your place to judge someone that's not in a relationship with God. In fact, it's probably seldom ever your place to judge someone in a relationship with God, but anyway. And I think that we get surprised when we live the same way as everybody else, but then we experience the same stress as everybody else. And we experience the same anxiety. And we're like, hey God, I thought you told me you give me peace. He's like, I will. Just 
follow the way. You'll experience peace. Listen, I'm just telling you, if I was God, I would be so sarcastic. And I would let you know it. Just, I know. I've got a lot of work to still do, right? I'm not in heaven yet. I'm still growing. I'm just confessing. I would tune us. I would tune us big time. So, we all have a way that we're following. We all have a pattern that we are subscribing to. The only question is, is it life-giving? Are your most meaningful relationships healthier than they were a year ago or two years ago or three years ago? Is your marriage healthier, more fruitful, more flourishing than what it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Are you, are you more at peace with your season of singleness than you were six months ago, a year ago, two years ago? Are you more content with the financial limits in your life than what you were? Are you more fruitful in your diligence at work? Are you more fruitful in your relationships? This isn't about guilt and shame, by the way. I'm saying, I'm saying it's a reflection. Guys, some of us think that we're still good because we still believe what we believed 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I think if we still believe what we believed and nothing has changed, we should be terrified. As you've probably heard me mention a few times, the, the, like Satan believes, the demons believe. That doesn't mean anything. But if we're in a relationship, I'm not saying that you'll never be fearful again, but I do think that our fear and anxiety it will become healthier. I think, I'm not saying you'll never be greedy again, but I think that our greed and our levels of generosity will start to shift. I'm not saying that you'll never get impatient again, that you'll never feel too stressed out or that you'll never be irritable, but I, but I think that it'll get better. Worship team can come on up. I'm gonna wrap up in a moment. I know some of you are gonna feel like you're being left hanging and I wanna encourage you to come back in the weeks ahead. I'm deliberately not, I can't give you all the answers in one in one go. We're going to talk way more about, about rule of life and we're going to dig deep into a couple of key practices that I believe has, has honestly helped change my life over the last few years. But in case you're one of those A-type personalities and you want to become a nun or a monk tomorrow and you're going to commit to 13 new things that's going to be like revolutionary, my encouragement to you is to start where you are, not where you want to be. Start where you are, not where you want to be. And please, for the love of everything that's holy, pursue progress, not perfection. Just progress. I don't mean the progress of the world. I mean, okay, God, am I, am I, am I any more patient? Am I any more kind? Am I, am, I, am I any healthier? Am I trusting you a little bit more? Just progress, guys. I think God is way more patient with you than what you give Him credit for. I wanna end off with, with, with a prayer that that some of you would be familiar with. Um, parts of it has been used. I don't know if the whole thing's been used, but, but parts of it and, and, and certain iterations of it has been used by um, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and other 12-step recovery programs. And it actually, it actually originates with an early 20th century theologian by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr. And I just thought it's so, it's so appropriate actually for what, for what we're talking about. And and for what God's wanting to do in our lives with margin, with breathing room, with... Guys, I'm just telling you that it's possible to experience peace in the midst of the storm. Like it's possible to have faith even though you're also afraid. Like it's possible to have hope for a relationship even though in the natural, you're like, but this, like nothing's changing. But I do not believe it's possible to experience any of those things in a rush, in a hurry, maxed out. Just just one, one tiny bit of pressure away from popping 
Won't you stand to your feet, please? I don't ever do this, but I wanna read our closing prayer over you this morning. So I'd encourage you to close your eyes and if you're comfortable doing this, you can kind of open your hands if you're wanting to kind of just symbolically say, God, please, yes, yes, please, God, help me, help me. So with your eyes closed and many of you, hands open, God, would you give us the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed? Because that's a limit. Lord, would you give us the courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next.